another pot of coffee is brewing. My fifth cup is almost finished. So that means it's time for another episode of Not Before Coffee. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, film addict, hermit, long-term depression sufferer, and very honest caffeine fiend. I'm actually really excited for this week, truthfully. It's the final in my Chris Evans season, and I've brought out the big guns, literally. Again, huge congratulations have to go to It's a Musical podcast for guessing the film I'm going to be talking about. It is indeed the first Avengers film, 2012's Avengers Assemble. I will also be talking about a book that made me laugh, cry, and experience all the feelings. I asked people on my Twitter to vote for the next genre I should read and after mythology came out on top with a very impressive 56.7%, I looked through the considerable TBR pile on my Kindle and decided on Sears by Madeline Miller. Of course, it wouldn't be a week in the coffee household if I didn't talk about what's been happening in my mental health world and how I've been coping with things, life, universe and everything. And I will be talking about the shows and possibly films that I'm going to be adding to my watch list for the week. I may even, maybe, add a few hints about the film I'm going to be talking about next week as we return to our regularly scheduled episodes. I'm not sure how much of this I need to go into with Avengers Assemble because it's not as though it was a small release. Whether you're a fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe or not, you will have definitely heard of this film. Avengers Assemble was released in the UK on the 26th of April 2012 and in the US nearly a week later on the 4th of May. With a budget of $220 million, it would be fair to expect the special effects and everything else to be of high quality. And as we all know, it was a box office hit, making over $1.5 billion globally after it was released. Over on Rotten Tomatoes, it has earned a super impressive, you could maybe even say super heroic, 91% approval rating, so it's fair to say that critics and cinema goers alike enjoyed it. I know that I am definitely on the side of, yes, I really liked this film. As we know the film really well, I'm not going to insult you by doing a play-by-play of the full plot, because if you're anything like me, you've seen it a good few times. I think I've probably watched it about 30, if I'm being honest. Avengers Assemble, or simply The Avengers, as it was known in the US, is one of my favourite films in the MCU. As much as I love Captain America, Iron Man, the first film in the franchise, remains my all-time favourite. And I know that many people will have very different opinions. Maybe the first Avenger is their favourite, maybe it's Captain Marvel or Endgame, but I remain with my first love and it is Iron Man. So we all know the plot. S.H.I.E.L.D. is on one of their bases doing experiments with something that Steve almost died to save the planet from before. And he's not wrong, they really should have left the Tesseract where it was at the bottom of the ocean. Unfortunately, as a species, humans are a curious one. And if there's something we don't understand, then we have to research it, pull it apart until we know everything we can. And the Tesseract is no different. Someone, or something, is knocking on the portal that they have created using the Tesseract, and there is no way of knowing what it is. Unfortunately, as we all know incredibly well, it's Loki, and it's not like he's friendly. 
The funny thing is that even knowing Loki is a mean son of a bitch who wishes nothing but chaos upon his family, there is something a little bit different about this Loki when you compare him with the one he was in Thor. He's lacking something, maybe some energy or something, I don't know. He's paler and he's almost empty. As we watch, we see Clint and Eric Selvig turn into emotionless drones. The entire base is destroyed and the Tesseract is stolen. Though we've already met all the big players in the film before, in their own films in most cases, the way that they go about bringing them together, still giving them their own identities, is clever, and it ensures that you still acknowledge them as separate entities even when they're being pulled into the same mission. Well, at least, (laughs) okay, at least most of them have their own movies. For some reason, though they contribute a great deal to the film, Black Widow and Hawkeye are treated like peripheral characters. At least I think that. I know that there has been a lot of frustration about the lack of autonomy Natasha is given, both in this film and in Age of Ultron. She is a super spy, the pilot, the one who recalibrates Clint, her partner, but she is still lacking a lot when it comes to backstory, identity and individuality. I am not going to go into the fact that the Avengers movies did Natasha dirty, because this is all about Steve Rogers and Chris Evans. So let's get back to him. When we first see Captain America, we get a back view that has become memes, gifs and posters. He's frustrated and angry, a man truly out of time. He lost all his friends and he's stuck in a period that he is totally unfamiliar with. Nick Fury has a new mission for him, though Steve is definitely unimpressed. They should have left the Tesseract where it was. It was something he nearly died to prevent from destroying the planet and it's now out in the world, having been taken by a being that has a history of destruction. Being honest, and here's me opening up completely, as a child I was not the biggest fan of Captain America. He wasn't exciting. Well, at least not in my immature mind. However, this Steve is different. Sure, he's mission focused, but that's because he has nothing else. He has no friends, no family, no idea about how to live in the 21st century. S.H.I.E.L.D. has been isolating him from the outside world, sending him out on missions, giving him little tasks, but they haven't given him the chance to get to know where he is. But he's right. For all that things have changed in the world, there are always wars to be fought and battles to be won. There are so many points during this film where Steve shows just a bit of the scrappy guy he was in the alleyway back in the 40s, the man who bends the rules in order to make sure that the right side wins. He has a little bit of a rebel in him, jumping out of planes without a parachute, breaking into a locked hold on a helicarrier to find weapons when he is determined to find out what Fury is hiding and doesn't feel like the investigation is moving quick enough. Steve is a man who likes to take charge and he's used to taking that and when he's got a mission he goes all gung-ho. You can see that he's uncomfortable with his fame though when Coulson awkwardly tells him that he was there when he was brought out of the ice but at the same time he knows how to play the role of celebrity and he's never dismissive of the people who admire or look up to him. He feels it's his responsibility to show willing and be friendly. In Avengers Assemble, Steve is given the opportunity to be part of a team again. He has fond memories of working with the Howling Commandos, though, to be fair, in the film, we only saw a glimpse of the missions that they were given in the first Avenger, but they had a strong bond, which was made even stronger through his relationship with Bucky. He is used to being in charge, but now there is a battle for dominance because all of the people he is fighting with are used to being their own boss, especially Tony, who has a strong personality and an incredibly large ego. 
As his personality analysis from S.H.I.E.L.D. quite clearly states, he doesn't work well with others, which is why he's not the best candidate for a team like the Avengers and why they originally said, Iron Man, yes, Tony Stark, no. The undertones of animosity between Steve and Tony are what makes the events of Civil War that much more something waiting to happen since the first time they meet. It's not exactly Steve's fault that Tony is set against him from before they even met because of the way that his dad was more or less obsessed with him. But at the same time, Steve doesn't do anything to make it go away either. Steve hates bullies and this film has its share. From Fury manipulating everyone into working together to Tony playing at being the boss to Loki who is pushing for world domination. So of course he's going to be pushing back in order to beat whoever is trying to bash down the little guy, in this case, the human race. For me, Avengers Assemble is a great example of reluctant teammates finding a way to work together. They have a similar cause, but their strong personalities are constantly battling against each other. With Coulson's death, they're given that common goal. Though Steve barely knows him, he is someone who wants to fight for the safety of the greater good, and Fury knows how to play him and the others by flinging blood-covered trading cards onto the table. That they are collectible Captain America ones doesn't really hurt either. Chris Evans in this film, and all the others to be honest, is the embodiment of Steve Rogers, a little awkward having woken up in an unfamiliar world, determined to fight for good and positive that his fight will never be over. It doesn't matter who he is fighting against, if they're in the wrong then they are his enemy. The moment he confronts Loki in Germany, he is making a statement that resonates throughout the whole film. He's there to stand up against what's bad for the innocent people who can't stand up for themselves. Yep, I am focusing on Cap here, in a film that isn't just about him, but this is the first time since he was fighting with the Howling Commandos that he's had a brotherhood. Sorry, Nat. He has had people to fight beside. Even in the modern world, he knows how to lead and inspire people to follow, despite it often being difficult to get people to listen. And a perfect example of this is the moment where he tells the police that what they should be doing, and until he proves himself in a battle against one of the Chitauri, they are incredibly dismissive in a why-should-we-listen-to-a-man-in-costume kind of way. The thing I have realised about Captain America is that despite the fact he is a lone man, he never fights and wins his battles alone. He is the leader, the one that people listen to, but in fights he is never on his own. In the first Avenger, he's leading the men of the Howling Commandos with Bucky at his side. In Avengers Assemble, he is with the other Avengers, however reluctant they are to have him as their leader, because they are all strong individuals with their own power to recommend them. In The Winter Soldier, he has Sam and Natasha. The list goes on and on, and on in perpetuity, well, until we reach Endgame. Despite being alone when he starts his journey in the 21st century, his stubbornness and determination to stand up against the bullies for what is right means that he isn't alone for long. I am going to ignore the controversy that this film and others that have a connection to Joss Whedon have accrued in the last few months, because I'm not about the politics here. I am determined to separate art from artist. Ultimately, he was one man and there are hundreds of people involved in the making of this film. As I've already said, Avengers Assemble is a regular go-to for me, as are a large number of the ones that I've talked about recently, to be fair. I find that the subtle humour and the action are a perfect mesh. 
One of the funniest scenes, though, is the moment where Loki is decried as a puny god by Hulk. Not even for that line, though, but for the little gasp of pain that leaves Loki's lips when Hulk walks away. I debated long and hard about the final film I would do for the Chris Evans season, and believe me, there are a lot to choose from. In fact, everything in the MCU was originally off the table as far as I was concerned, because I felt I should focus on the films he did before he made his name as Captain America. And there are a fair few of them. Everyone has their favourites. I know, people have been sending me them. The Winter Soldier is a masterpiece, so clever, a spy film melded with the comic book universe that Feige has created. Endgame makes me cry in so many places because it's the end of an era. Civil War had people picking sides and debating who was right and why. But ultimately, for me, Avengers Assemble was the one I looked to as the star of the team. That said, if I were to be choosing again, maybe this time next year, I'll go in a different direction. I enjoyed Knives Out. I found fierce people disturbing. I laughed while cringing through my fingers at Not Another Team Movie. And the scenes in Sunshine are really clever. So, do you have a favourite Chris Evans film? Have I covered it? Sound off in the comments or leave me a review. Love all things nerdy and want something that looks at it from a different angle? Join the Nerd Alternative. Looking for a podcast all about nerddom? Want a podcast with an emphasis on representation? The Nerd Alternative is the podcast for you. Join me, Ram. Me, Hassan. And me, Levi. Three black British nerds tackling the pop culture we love and sharing why we love them. The Nerd Alternative, a sweet melting pot of all things nerdy. Find it where you can find all good podcasts after you've finished listening to this episode. So this week, what is on my viewing menu? Surprisingly, it's actually not that long. I'm getting closer and closer to the end of the eight seasons of Castle, so I am trying, trying just a bit to ration it. I've seen it mentioned that people felt the eighth season was weaker than the others, and as someone who has watched all of them before, I'm actually not going to disagree with them. I do feel that the ending was rushed, but I am going to watch again just to reassert my opinion. As a loyal fan for the eight years it was on the air, I did feel a little let down by the series finale the first time I watched it. Will I feel the same the second time? Who knows? I am also going to be watching the second episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Was anyone else surprised at how the season began? Seriously, I watched it and it was like, oh my god. Did anyone else struggle to believe that it was 50 minutes when it felt like it was about five? I'm really curious as to where Marvel is taking this. It's a hugely different direction to WandaVision and has such a different tone. I'm not going to spoil any of it. But I will just say that I really am looking forward to watching the rest of the episodes that when they're airing. Books. Oh, this is a good one this week. This week I read one of the books I can honestly say is going to be placed very high up on my list of amazing. And not just for this year, over time. If you follow me on social, especially Twitter, then you may have seen the poll I put up last week asking for votes for the genre you'd like to hear me talk about. Mythology was hands down the most popular. So after a tiny bit of searching through my bookshelf and then my Kindle, I found one that I hadn't yet read. Circe by Madeline Miller. 
I really enjoyed her first novel, The Song of Achilles, which I read way back in 2011 when it was originally released. I had been putting off reading Sears for no reason other than I needed to be in the right frame of mind, as I do when I'm reading any book, to be fair. If I'm not in the right frame of mind, it will take me weeks to read a single book, and that is not something I'm accustomed to. So, what's it about? In the house of Helios, god of the sun and mightiest of the titans, a daughter is born. But Circe is a strange child, not powerful like her father, not viciously alluring like her mother. Turning to the world of mortals for companionship, she discovers that she does possess power, the power of witchcraft, which can transform rivals into monsters and menace the gods themselves. Threatened, Zeus banishes her to a deserted island, where she hones her occult craft, tames wild beasts and crosses paths with many of the most famous figures in all of mythology, including the Minotaur, Daedalus and his doomed son Icarus, the murderous Medea, and of course, wily Odysseus. But there is danger too, for a woman who stands alone, and Circe unwittingly draws the wrath of both men and gods, ultimately finding herself pitted against one of the most terrifying and vengeful of the Olympians. To protect what she loves most, Circe must summon all her strength and choose once and for all whether she belongs with the gods she is born from or the mortals she has come to love. I studied the classics at university, Greek and Roman mythology, and I loved the subject, seriously. I read Ovid's Metamorphoses and spent hours poring over a multitude of books to write the perfect dissertation. It ended up being about the rape of Proserpine, which is a statue by Benini, which is currently in Rome. I learned all about the founding of Rome, the emperors who claimed to be descended from the gods, and the diary of Pliny who witnessed the destruction of Pompeii. From the first word to the last, I loved this book. It made me laugh and it made me sob every single time Sears got rejected. She lived through so much, experienced so much, was tortured by friends and family alike, and when she needed them the most, she was forsaken by the people who should have defended her. There is one scene in this book that hammers home the fact that after she is exiled on the island by Zeus and her father, she has been forgotten. She is no one to them because not only did she never fit in, but she never learned to play by their rules. Circe is raped by a man on her island. No one has felt the need to hide it from rapacious sailors who would use the island as a temporary refuge. They have simply abandoned her there to exist and to suffer. That was the turning point when Circe realised that she could no longer allow herself to be made into a victim. Everyone she loved left her, everyone she cared for ignored her, to everyone she is nothing and yet she is powerful enough that people are afraid of her. And gods, Zeus is terrified of her and the potential she has. If you're familiar with Homer's Odyssey then you will know of Circe, the sorcerer who transforms men into pigs on her island, the woman who seduced Odysseus. In this book, you get to know more about her story, the myths that weren't in Metamorphoses or in Odysseus, her origin story as it were. She is the woman who creates Scylla, the many-mouthed sea monster, you know, Scylla and Chrybdis. She is the woman who helps Pasiphae, her sister, birth the Minotaur. She tries to warn her niece that Theseus will abandon her. This book, as the Song of Achilles, gives the characters a depth you won't find in the tales of old. Circe brings the characters to life, making them feel almost real, 
gives them dimension, motivation, a real story. I know, if given the chance, I could talk about this book for hours. In fact, if you've read it and want to talk about it, then hit me up for a conversation. Seriously, send me a DM. I love talking books and this one was everything I wanted from a novel and more. I am now eagerly awaiting the next one. That's the problem when you read a book by an author you like. You have a long time to wait between the one you just finished and the next one coming up. Miller doesn't rush her novels though, so it could be a while. The Song of Achilles came out in 2011 and Circe came out in 2018. I have heard rumours that she is taking inspiration from the Bard for her next tale. In fact, I think I read somewhere that she's actually looking at The Tempest. I have a print in my hall of a scene from The Tempest, Miranda staring out at the ocean. I guess, though, until more is revealed, it's just a case of wait and see. I'm not very patient when it comes to books. I know, though, that whatever is released, it will be wonderfully written because Madeline Miller is a very skilled storyteller and her words flow in a way that makes me happy that I love to read. Oh my god, I've got, I don't know how long it's going to be till the next one. Seriously, if anybody has any idea, has heard anything, or Madeline Miller, when are you releasing your next book? <laughs> I can't wait, I really can't. That said, the one thing that reading Sears has done is make me dread the next book I'm going to pick up, because it's really hard to live up to the last one if it's so good. No, I haven't started it yet and I do actually have three different books in my line of sight because I think I'm going down the route of Supernatural this time as that was the second most popular category in the votes. Last week I got pretty serious when I talked about how my mental health issues were further exacerbated with problems related to eating. This week I have been thinking about what makes me happy. I know it's a weird focus, but over the last few months, we've all been unable to do many of the things that would normally give us a nice hit of endorphins, whether that's meeting friends for coffee, in my case, or heading to a pub. I'm not a massive fan of pubs, to be fair. I prefer coffee houses. I prefer going out with my friends for a nice coffee, maybe a scone or something, and a long chat rather than, I don't know what it is, the smell of pubs really just doesn't appeal to me at all. Over the last year, I have been seriously reassessing my life. I've put a few things in play that I won't be talking about until they actually happen, but other things I have noticed are my levels of irritability and also my resentment, which I thought I had actually done a lot to resolve in the last sort of 18 months or so. Last year, when we all went into isolation, I managed to build a strong but distanced relationship with my mum. You'll have heard me mention how we've struggled for years and there have been a multitude of things that have caused us to disagree since I was a teenager. That's life though. How many teenagers can say, I get on with my parents all the time. It's amazing. If you are, wow, I'm A, really jealous and B, are you sure? Anyway, for the first few months of lockdown, we had something in common. We were both isolated. We were both alone, working from home, seeing no one and relying on this Sunday family Zoom call, which was always just a tiny bit awkward, ran a little bit long, because who wants their entire Sunday sat in front of a computer when they could be watching a film? Okay, so it's two different screens, but at the same time, 
it was mostly focused on my youngest nephew showing us the various Lego projects he'd been building. Skip forward a few months and all of a sudden we're being told we can build bubbles. My mum and I are both still waiting as we're still shielding and my sister invites her mother-in-law to join them because when my sister moved down here, because when my sister moved down here, her mother-in-law followed pretty soon afterwards. It sounds weird, but I was kind of okay with being on the outside at that point because my mum was still there with me. She was still waiting to be released from the virtual prison that the government's vulnerable persons shielding system had left us in. And then shielding was lifted. Over the months, mum and I had bonded. We had talked three, maybe four times a week rather than the one that we'd previously done. We'd watched TV shows together on WhatsApp, had our own Zoom calls, and then one Sunday that just stopped. You don't mind, do you? It makes more sense that I join your sister's bubble. I can see the grandchildren. All those months of bonding and suddenly it's as though none of it had happened. I was again on the outside while everyone was staring at me through their COVID bubble. I've always known that I was the one in our trio of siblings that would be hung out to dry if push came to shove, but I had honestly believed that knowing I was on my own, I would be more important just for at least a little while. After that, I built up a lot of resentment and I'm still working through it thanks to meditation and desperately trying to adjust my feelings so that I can put things back to where they were before I opened the door and allowed myself to be vulnerable and believe that I actually meant something again. It hurts. Knowing that whatever happens, I come right at the bottom of that barrel. That the response is always, well, you have a friend you can see, don't you? The fact that my mum dumped me as soon as my sister, who she'd actually been telling me was driving her nuts because she could never understand how awful it is to be isolated and alone, was once again sitting pretty at the top of the shit heap, while I was, yet again, right at the bottom being stomped on. I know that I'm not alone in feeling stuck out in the cold. I have no doubt that there are other people out there who are just like me, wondering why they are the ones who are still on the outside looking in. If you are, you aren't alone. It's just that much harder to meet people virtually when the only place to go is dating sites that don't really fit your needs. So if you need to talk, and if you need a friendly ear, if you're feeling alone and isolated, or you want to talk books, DM me. I really do know what it feels like. I mean, you've heard my story, and I wish it weren't a story that I had to tell. If I can help one person feel less crappy about their life, then I'm making a difference. So that's it for this week. I hope you've enjoyed the listen. I release a new episode every week, so if you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and maybe post a review on many of the podcatchers out there like iTunes or Podchaser. You can follow me on Twitter at need underscore three underscore mugs or on Instagram at notbeforecoffeepodcast. Well, I need another cup of coffee as I haven't had enough yet. I think I've had about six mugs so far. And I'm now going to go and put the kettle on. Until next time, this is me saying farewell. Farewell.